Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey friends, welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast. And we are here during... Um Midterms and finals week, apparently, since Owen and Vansh have a lot of work to do, and that's why Vansh isn't again with us. Uh, so that's me and Owen. Thanks, Owen, for giving your time since you are also in, in uni right now. And uh, yeah, it's really fun to talk tennis with you. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well, and this is no problem. I actually don't really have midterms because I'm mostly in writing classes. But yeah, excited to be here and talking tennis. Yeah, and uh, this week... We're pretty much going to be talking about rankings again, uh, since uh, we've, we've had a couple interesting things happening at the very top of the game. Obviously, Djokovic last week broke the uh, the record for, was it either last week or the week before that? He just broke the, the record for most weeks at the at the number one spot, and uh, not all, all time for the men's side only. The women's side has uh, a lot of weeks still to go, but... Um, now we had a, a little bit of a, a thing happening, which was in the number two ranking, which is actually um, a stat that was not so... I don't think it was actually that divulged. And again, it's just like it, it's, it was not something that they were talking about it as much until it, it so happened that somebody got so close and actually Medvedev ended up snatching the world number two mm-hmm. ranking. But uh, for, for the whole time uh, that I've been watching tennis, which has been probably somewhere about 2007... It never really occurred to me that only Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, and Murray have held the world number two ranking. Um, number one and two, obviously. The number one has been held for for a little bit longer than that. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, the number two ranking, it was, it was, and I was just really impressed by the fact that the last person to actually have held the number two ranking was Leighton Huey in 2005. So there's like a 16-year um, you know, gap between the world before the big three and four and mm-hmm. today. So I guess this first f- first thoughts would be that this is kind of like a little bit of, of affirmation in terms of us thinking, well, finally, maybe we have a generation that is capable of doing something important. <laughs> and uh, the the second is just, just wow, so dominant, right? I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's they're incredibly dominant. I was just thinking... Uh, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, and Murray are at the four. Right now, Murray is ranked a lot lower than he was. He's well, well past his prime. Federer has just been out for a year because due to injury. Yeah. And Nadal and Djokovic are in their mid-30s. And it still only just happens now. So I think um, all of them are past their primes. And it's it's very impressive that Medvedev has finally cracked this 16-year stranglehold. 16 years is a very, very long time. Uh, over a decade and a half. But I think it just makes me think that it wouldn't have happened. Like, if 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 he were playing in, I don't know, 2014, this wouldn't have happened. Hmm, yeah. 
Yeah, I guess it, it's it's interesting because, as you say, like they're, they're well past their primes, and essentially just speaking in the the matches that matter, like, and they're probably gonna keep the stronghold in the Grand Slams for a little longer too. Like, I feel like it's just kind of like they're the last bastion of their dominance yeah. will be uh, the the Grand Slams, and and we'll see how Roger Federer comes out um, later at Wimbledon, mostly. But yeah, it's. It's the thing that I, that I was thinking as well is just one of the the reasons why he got the ranking was because there was a drop in in the fifty percent of the points that Nadal had, and that allowed Medvedev to actually snatch that ranking. But would you would you say obviously he deserved that because this this is how the, the rankings are, and he had no no part in you know the game isn't cheated in his favor. Let's put it this way. But like um, of course, yeah. Um, how would you say? Uh, do you do you think he's a deserved award number two right now? Or yeah, yeah, I do. He's had a ton of great results recently. He won Paris and the World Tour Finals at the end of 2020. Made the Australian Open final. He's just won another tournament in Marseille. He won the ATP Cup uh, before Melbourne. So he, he's turning in great results. He's getting a ton of points. I I think he does deserve it. But I also think it's important to address the circumstances surrounding the achievement. I guess. Yeah. I think the the other thing that I think about with it is um, obviously I'm not keeping track of the rankings as if as as they would be without the um, the new rules and whatnot. But um, I think it's fair to assume that Medev has won a fair bit more than Nadal did in the in the last year too. So I I would imagine yeah. that the rankings would be about the same. Maybe Team would have been number one, number number two rather than Medvedev. But uh, mm-hmm. I think that would be a strong possibility that Medvedev would have still been number one regardless. Uh, number two, regardless of that. So, yeah, I think so too. I think he and Team and Medvedev have been creeping up on Nadal for a while, at least on hard courts. Um, team, Team, you could argue he's creeping up on him on clay as well. But on the hard courts, their results are slowly were slowly starting to catch up and then eclipse Nadal's. Um, Medvedev went deeper than Nadal at the Australian Open. Uh, he didn't play the U.S. Open, but at the Australian in 2020, Team outperformed him there. Medvedev lost just one round earlier, um, and and I think that trend is going to continue in the future. Hmm. So I will. Um, so I'm definitely excited to see how that progresses. And I think another thing I'm excited about now that this stranglehold on the top two has finally been broken is I think we'll finally see some more exciting draws. I think like Roland Garros is coming up. So if Nadal is still number three at that point, we could get Nadal Djokovic in the semifinals. Uh, last time that happened was 2013. They gave us a pretty good match then. So I think um, this will definitely make draws. It'll it'll at least add another dimension to them because you could get big three matchups in the semifinals, or uh, and it won't be Nadal and Djokovic slated to play in every final at least if things hold to seating. Mm-hmm. Was uh, Nadal number two, number three? I mean, in 2013 as well. Yes, I think at that point Djokovic was one and Nadal was three. Yeah. Because I don't see Nadal being maybe number four, and I was wondering, was it the, mm-hmm. the year Murray did something? But no, it wasn't, probably. Um, maybe Murray was number two back then, or maybe not. I don't know. I, I but, think, I, I know Federer was number two at the start of 2013, okay. but he didn't have a good year, so maybe Murray had passed him at that point. I can't mm. remember. Yeah, it's been been a while. Yeah. Um, so in, now that you speak of clay, and obviously Medvedev has just won another title, his tenth his tenth title, by the way, um, in mm-hmm. uh, in Marseille last week, where Tsitsipas failed to defend his. Uh, Tsitsipas having a little bit of a of a letdown after the Australian Open, uh, but 
we'll see what happens. And the clay season is coming up. Maybe favors Tsitsipas better than he favors Medvedev. And yes, as this number two, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And to say to talk about like the the clay tournament, and obviously Medvedev has has reached this number two ranking. But things don't really look very settled for him to, you know, become like a, another Nadal and hold a number two ranking for another, like, four years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, we've been saying on Twitter that if he has a good clay season, he can consolidate his number two ranking, maybe close the gap to number one. But that is a very big if. He's never won a match at Roland Garros, which mm. is the cornerstone of the clay season. He made a Barcelona final in 2019 made the Monte Carlo semifinals that same year, I think. So he has a few points to defend. But, yeah, he he really hasn't done much of note on clay. So I think, I think like, his best results are going to come on hard court for the next little bit. We'll see if he can develop his game to uh, suit the other surfaces as well. But I, I think his ceiling is going to be pretty low for the next few months. Yeah, it's interesting because we say, oh yeah, he has, he has very little points to defend on clay, but it, it, there's a reason why he has very few exactly. points to defend, yeah. <laughs> it's because he hasn't played well, it's not because he, he decided to skip or anything like that, it's not like Federer, right. for example, who obviously he's deciding to skip as many tournaments as possible to keep the focus on where he can possibly win a tournament, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, Medvedev... I I would imagine that he could sneak in like a Masters one thousand, maybe who maybe like win Madrid or, or Rome, something yeah. like this. If he if he does like a really really good um, clay season, I feel like this would be like his peak. If he were to actually like peak beyond our expectations, would be um, one of those tournaments. But yeah, all in all, I think it's just gonna come out look with a couple round two losses. Um, in a few tournaments and hopefully he can at least add a couple wins and Roland Garros where he hasn't hasn't even won a single match yet apparently yeah which is wild and I have to say I think his peak is going to be a little lower than that Dominic team hasn't even won a Masters 1000 on clay yet so I think I think if Medvedev does it before him that'll that'll be something to talk about but um yeah so I I honestly think the the most we can really expect from him is maybe a Masters 1000 semifinal maybe a final if he's playing really well but I think just mentally, it would be great for him to get a win or two at Roland Garros because sort of like what happened when he hadn't won a five-setter yet. is like, we knew that stat wasn't going to be a thing forever, but the fact that it was still a thing probably weighed on his mind a little bit, and he ended it at the Australian Open. He bageled uh, Philip Krajinovic in a fifth set, I think. Yeah, and so I think yeah. just to get the monkey off his back could be really helpful for future clay seasons. Yeah, I mean, it is obviously the... the um. The advantage that he, he will come in with like less pressure than he would have if he were a yeah. Dominic team, for example, who's going to come up as probably he comes out every year as more of a favorite to win clay tournaments. Like, mm-hmm. And I don't know how much this is weighing in on him. Um, he uh, is probably one of the favorites also to probably become number two as well uh, during yeah. the clay season. There's a strong possibility, I think, that he would be able to take this ranking off of Medvedev and which is wild as well. The Dominic team is a Grand Slam champion. He has done so much uh, in the past couple of years and hasn't been able to break that. You know, his, yeah. his highest highest ranking was number three. And I guess it's just, as, as I was saying, it just kind of went, off, went over my head, the, the fact that nobody has been able to be number two. Team has been such a good player, has been the number two player, I guess, for the past two years or so. Obviously, yeah. Nadal, the... Prosperity ranking has has been the number two for real, 
um, in number one for a little bit as well. Um, but I, by at least by the end of last year, 2020, I was thinking this guy in my head, he was probably, he was the number two player in the world because he was the best player behind Djokovic. And on clay, I would say probably number Dominic team would be like a a second, uh, on clay as well. Yes. Uh, Djokovic probably would be my very, very close in in third place, but Mm -hmm. You know the final and the as as it ended and team finished Roland Garros as he did, but I guess this year is going to be a little bit different and I don't know maybe Dominic team will have a lot more motivation this year too and maybe with Medvedev actually reaching number two, there is probably an extra motivation for him to just kind of like be you know he made it and so I can make it too you know yeah and my time is coming because I'm getting onto my favorite surface right now. So I could mm-hmm. very well take this away from him. So I don't know. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Steam because I'm curious to see whether Clay is still his favorite surface. And mm. in 2019, he had a good Clay season. He won Barcelona. He made the Roland Garros final. But in 2020, we got a very abbreviated Clay season that saw him not play Rome and then lose in the fourth round at Roland Garros. And in the meantime, he's had some great results on hard court. He won the US Open. He made the final of the Australian, and he almost won the World Tour Finals, made the final of that. And so I think mm-hmm. not this isn't as accentuated as it is on grass, but it's been a while since he played a lot of clay tennis. And so I'm curious to see. I, I think this clay season is going to be very telling for him. If he has another good season, I think it'll reestablish him as the number two player on clay behind Rafa. But I think if he doesn't have a good clay season, it could sort of mark his transition to more of a hardcore player. Mm. And it could leave the door open for a couple others, like maybe TC Boss to have a really good clay season. But um, but yeah, I think, and I'm kind of hoping that a rivalry develops between Team and Medvedev. They played a really good match at the US Open last year. Uh, team won in straight sets, but very, very close. And then another entertaining match at uh, the World Tour Finals in London that Medvedev won. Uh, that was a lot tighter. and And so I think on clay, Team would be a solid favorite. But I I do think this is a good opportunity for team to get the number two ranking because he didn't have a great clay season. He only played one event last year. So I'm I'm really, really excited to see whether he'll reestablish himself or sort of have another disappointing result. And I think he will do better than he did last year because the US Open was very tiring. So he pulled out of Rome and uh, the French Open. He lost a really, really grueling match to Diego Schwartzman. Uh, 6-2 in the fifth, and no shame in that, especially considering how many miles he had on his legs. So, yeah, um, again, I'm excited to see how that goes for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, the other thing that I'm probably forgetting right now, we're probably forgetting to mention, is that there is a little bit of a chance for Medvedev to still uh, gather a few points on hardcourt, which will be in Miami. Yep. So it's a Masters 1000, it's a big tournament. It's right before we hit the clay courts in, in, in Europe. Um but yeah, like Medvedev does still have a little bit of a chance to like um, um, deepen the gap a little bit before yeah. he gets to the clay season and just kind of give give himself a little bit of room to breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like I feel like this is going to be the closest battle that we're gonna get, like outside of the the big three, and obviously Nadal and and, and Djokovic right now battling for the Grand Slams. Like it's, I think, like right below that, we're gonna have Medvedev and team really being the, the closest, the biggest challengers, I would say. And it's it's funny to say that because um, 
as you said, it seems like a team is trying to make a little bit of a transition to Harcourt. And I think one of the reasons why he's probably thinking about this is to try to maximize his chances of winning big titles. Yeah. Because there's obviously six Masters 1000 on, on Harcourt and two of the Grand Slams are on Harcourt as well. So if he mm-hmm. just becomes incredibly good on clay, he's not getting any younger. He's 27 turning 28 this year, I believe. Yes, I um, think so. So, yeah, he's, he's definitely past next-gen uh, status at this point. So yeah, um, he, he would have to try and like try to maximize his chances. Probably... If if I were to say at least something about his clay uh, performance would be that even though he transitions to hard, he knows that he's really good on clay as well. Exactly. So he would at least have like this chance on like at least three of the four Grand Slams once the big three retire. Um, if uh, of course they retire um, while he's still playing really really good tennis, because well as we know Federer is still at thirty nine and playing incredibly well. Um, mm-hmm. So it will depend on how things go and develop, but. Yeah, and for for Medvedev, like poor him. I I have no idea how he's gonna do on on grass either. So oh yeah, there's it, it's a shot in the dark to guess. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. from now on, he he did what he could for whatever hardcore play, tournaments he could play until now. But if he has to wait until the American summer again, he probably is gonna drop a little bit in the rankings oh, before yeah. then. So gonna yeah, be number it- five or two or something. And I think he might lose a bit of his edge as well. I think Miami is big for him because, like you said, Clay, his record is not great. His record is not great on grass. So, in theory, if he doesn't make a big improvement on those surfaces, it'll be a few months before he can really contend for big titles again after Miami. So yeah. if I were him, I would really put everything into Miami and try to at least go into Clay and grass, playing playing your best. Um, have Other players should still be intimidated to play him just because of what he's achieved. Um, and I'm glad he brought up surface versatility as well, because it's huge. A big reason that Djokovic is number one is because he wins Wimbledon. He can contend at all four majors. Roland Garros, less so than the other three. But and Nadal, too, uh, can get good results on grass. And and we're seeing it with Medvedev. Um, when oh, Hardcourt may make up most of the tour compared to the other two, but if if you can't really contend on the other two there are going to be gaps of months where you can't win majors or big titles. And with the team, we're seeing that he can contend at three out of the four, which is huge. So so I think, and and it helps a lot in the rankings too. Medvedev has gotten to number two, essentially just off the back of really good results on hard court. So you imagine if he can get good on clay too, then he'll absolutely be a future number one. Way easier said than done, of course, but yeah, I think sure. that's a next step for him. Yeah. What would you say that probably he needs to improve in order to play better on clay? Uh, it's it's tough. I haven't seen him play much on clay. And I think his game, in theory, should stoop the surface because he likes the long rally so much and he defends so well. But I think maybe sometimes his lack of firepower from the ground can hurt him there. And he doesn't have a way to finish points really easily. So, I don't know. I guess, I mean, serving well always helps. He's a good serve. But if I were him, I might, I guess it sounds cheesy, but almost like embrace the clay, like play the long rallies, still try to grind down his opponents, uh, give, give them variety, mix up spins and heights. And and I'm just spitballing here because it's been a while since I watched him on clay. But And I think this would be very hard, but confidence would help. So if he can get a couple quick wins before Roland Garros, 
then he'll feel better going into that tournament where he is winless. So, yeah. Uh, wh- what do you think? Because I really don't have a great answer to that question. Yeah, like, I tend to I tend to agree with that a little bit. Um, one of the things that I find is is important for him is is try to add um, a little bit more um, like pace to his own shots, especially yeah. when the ball is low to the ground, which is obviously a little bit of a different bounce from uh, hardcourts. Um, but uh, Medvedev just kind of feeds off of his flatter shots, skipping over the uh, to the other side, and they don't necessarily. He can use pace from uh, his opponents, and all of this is possible in clay. But clay just requires you to be a little bit more thoughtful in terms of like injecting pace here and there, mm-hmm. and uh, there is less opportunities for you to kind of rush your opponent like he can yeah. do at times. Um, and if he he can grind down his opponents on 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 hard, but um, the difference with clay, I would imagine, is that um, players like to be grinded, grinded on, uh, <laughs> on on clay because they're just that's the type of point that they like to play. They like to build them up from from the ground up and just really yeah, that's true. Open up the court and like uh, move their opponent a little bit so that they can finally hit a, a winner or you know approach the net or something like that. But Medvedev is just gonna be um, caught up in his own game. He's gonna taste of his own medicine because. He's gonna grind grind opponents down, and he's not gonna get any reward from it. I feel like on clay, and that's probably the reason why I feel like he needs to add the variety, but like in the sense of um, not just defending, but really just trying to um, use more of uh, of more more pace uh, diversification, if you will. Um, and if you could add some spin, especially to the backhand, I guess you would go yeah, a long true. way. Yeah, but. All is all, of course, all easier said than done, and uh, we'll have to see. His his serve is definitely one of his biggest weapons, and he should use it very, very well, like on on clay. Regardless, mm-hmm. the thing is that it becomes a little bit more attackable, not because it's his serve it gets worse, but because it's just the first serve is so much slower that yeah. it may be, may allow players to just. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Get a little bit of a a chance to hit the ball back, which is kind of neutralizes his firepower a little bit. But yeah, like it, it I, I would definitely need to like get into like a much deeper analysis of his game. And I, I like he likewise, I haven't really watched him play much on clay. Um, to say, you know, much of that, and obviously he didn't really give much of much, give us much of a chance to watch him on clay because he's, right. he keeps losing. So yes, that, that's true. Yeah, I mean, he can't have played more than a couple dozen matches on clay in the last 
I don't know, in his career, really. In the last few years, mm-hmm. he's probably just played a handful of matches on clay because, like you said, he keeps losing. So, yeah. yeah um, and I think that's a great point you made about um, point construction. Uh, clay does emphasize it, and you have to sort of build from the ground up, like you said. And you might have to hit three or four really aggressive shots before you can open up space for a winner. Yeah. And his game isn't... I don't, I don't know if it's totally suited to that. So, I mean, he can hit his forehand very hard when he chooses to. So I think maybe adding more pace at the right time, like you said, could help. And and spin again, because uh, you can get the ball to jump up really high on clay, as, uh, as Nadal shows uh, for the last several years. So, yeah, and I think... The fact that clay is slower does hurt his serve. Um, he played Tsitsipas at the Australian Open, and if they play on clay, Medvedev will not be winning 88% of his first serve points like he did in Melbourne. So, yeah. so I think that hurts him as well. But yeah, I'm, uh, I, I wish I could say I were optimistic, because I think it would help the game if he turned in some good results on clay. But uh, yeah, I don't know. He, I, I need to see some concrete improvement from him before I can make a better evaluation, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think for for me the one thing about 2021 in general is that um so far obviously Djokovic has shown us the how he's still dominant and whatever but yeah. for the most part I would say 2021 is a little bit of a mystery in in terms of like making predictions mm-hmm. it 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 becomes a little bit harder now especially um since 2020 was such a different season we haven't really had that much feedback from players yeah. in terms of um actually seeing them play and how are they doing how are they feeling so we're gonna we kind of have to going to go off of whatever form they find this year, um, which is I don't know a pretty unprecedented I guess for for us all because it was the first time since that we didn't have like a year in year out and it broke off rhythm because clay season was after the U.S. Open yeah so things are gonna go back to normal but this coming back to normal may throw off some some people as well and uh, um, I don't know I think we'll have to see and. Speaking of uh, a completely different year in last last year, mm-hmm. uh, I guess we have a player who, obviously non-pandemic related, but um, injury related, Mr. Roger Federer, yeah. coming back on tour, wins one match, has match points in another. Um, what did you What did you make of it? Did you watch the, those matches at all? Uh, I saw pieces of both. I missed. I think one of the most revealing sets he played, which was uh, when he got breadsticked in his second match. Um, I didn't see any of that. But I think I think the fact alone that he was able to play long matches bodes well for him. I think there was some inevitable fatigue, but at a certain point, match practice is what's needed. I think it's good that he sort of got a reminder of the grind of the tour. I'm sure that'll mm-hmm. fuel him when he goes back to practice. Um... But from what I saw of him, he served well. It's always been a huge weapon from him. For him, he was he was moving pretty well. I don't think he was moving at his best. Sometimes he could be a little slow, especially when he was moving out to his forehand. But I thought he was striking the ball cleanly for the most part. So I think a lot of encouraging signs, and nothing that made me think he's really, really going to struggle. Yeah. Uh, what did you think? I I think I got like pretty much the. Uh, the same as you. I think I watched the entire um, Dan Evans match, though. I think I, I got m- most of it. I don't know if I if I watched the the last set entirely. I think mm-hmm. I had to quit like uh, like midway through ish. But um, yeah. He, the one thing that was striking me about his matches is how how he was able to win on serve, 
Mm -hmm. And um, he was able to kind of pick and choose specific points in which he would uh, peak, let's say it that way. Because in which he would, you could see like, for example, by the time that he won the the, the last set, um, for from what I saw uh, in the third set, he wasn't really playing incredibly well on return. Yeah. And then Evans is not like the, the best server either. But yeah. he he was just patient. And that's really good. But yeah, he he is definitely losing out on physicality at this point. Yeah. Like, And obviously there's the fact that he wasn't playing for a year, so he's totally not in the same shape as the other guys are. But um, the matches that the match that I saw from um, him and Basilashvili was that Basilashvili just out, out, out hit him. He just blew him off the court. He was hitting super hard and Federer just didn't really have much of a response, couldn't really defend against it. Um, and if he's not just moving well, it's as soon as he loses his serve once, it's it's done. And yeah, if he gets one game that he hits like twenty five percent first serves in, and he's he's in pretty big trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was having fun. Like the one of the things that I realized uh, when I was watching him was that he was he didn't really have any intentions of actually winning the tournament itself. Yeah. It's it's kind of when when those players just go into the smaller tournaments just to is literally he just wanted to see where he was at and he was just yeah, kind of going exactly. for it, hitting shots a little bit closer to the line, doing some weird serving volley, um, just finding some extremely awkward um, shots and at some point he he tried um, um I don't know if, I'm not sure if it was a serving volley but he tried a dry volley at some point and he missed. Horribly into yeah, the match. I remember that. And then the next point, I think he the tried one again and he ended up again. winning the point. Yeah, yeah, he just tried it again. So the exact, it's exactly that. It was just like, I just, let me just try this second. Let's just see what happens. Yeah, maybe it was just my timing was off. Let's see if I make an adjustment here and there and just, just see if I can make the shot next time. It, it was just practice for him. He looked like, which is a shame for obviously for 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 Dan Evans who wasn't mm-hmm. determined for real. <laughs> um, Baslashvili ended up winning the the entire thing. Um. But yeah, for Federer is is good signs. I I wonder how he's gonna come out after the the other tournaments. And I think Grass is is really really going to be good for him. Yeah, because he, hard courts have become the the place of the grind for so many people yeah. now. So Federer is not necessarily at this point in his career that he can he can do much anymore. So yeah, yeah. Do you, do you like his chances at Wimbledon at all? Oh. Not if he has to play Djokovic. If if not, then I think he has a chance. But I mean, it goes without saying that he'll have to play very, very well. Um, yeah. there, I think grass as a whole is the surface that where the ATP is the weakest. But I think there are still dangerous opponents who he could lose to. And like you said about him playing, um, sort of to practice and see where his level was. I I think he was obviously hoping to win and playing to win. But I do agree that he played the tournament not thinking okay, this is a great chance for me to add 500 points to my ranking. Or, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Or um, I think he was thinking, like, I need to play matches and see how well I'm playing. And he won't be able to do that at Wimbledon. So I think something... He'll he'll have to play a lot better in multiple events before Wimbledon for me to say I like his chances. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. He's not playing in Dubai now. I think he's right. I, supposedly, I, he should play Miami. Okay. Um. I I saw something that said he wasn't playing Monte Carlo. Mm-hmm. Um. So maybe he'll play Madrid, Roland Garros, and mm-hmm. then Wimbledon. I think. 
Uh, maybe Rome as well. I think he played Rome in 2019, then got a small injury partway through the event. Um, yeah, I'm actually not sure if he's playing Miami. I feel like I saw something that said he pulled out, but I'm not positive. Here, I, I can actually check. But For sure. But yeah, I think like he said that Wimbledon is the goal. He's very good at um, sort of playing tournaments to build his level up there. That's what he did in 2019, and he had a, he had a great tournament. He was one point away from winning. So, mm. yeah. Um, so I, I think he does have a chance. I, I, I just saw um, yeah. he posted something saying he withdrew from Dubai, so nothing on Miami yet, I think. Yeah, so I know he withdrew from Dubai because he didn't want to. He wanted some time to recover, yeah, and rest a little bit longer and practice a little bit more, mm-hmm. which I think is wise. Like uh, I feel like if you just go back and just uh, let the the rubber hit the road like this, yeah. this quickly is going to be really tough for him, um, and he can't not risk to get injured again. Um, exactly, that so, would yeah. that'd be a huge blow. Yeah. yeah. Um, an instinct I have that I'm trying really hard to train out of myself when I watch tennis is sort of surprise when a player gets fatigued. And and so I was mm. a bit surprised when he got fatigued, but it would have been more surprising if he weren't tired because he is almost 40 yeah. and he hasn't played competitive tennis for a year. So I think I think the fact that he got tired is completely unsurprising and we shouldn't read into that. So I think his decision makes total sense. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think he his best option would be probably playing Madrid. If we yeah. were to play on clay, because I think Madrid has the the fastest of the, yeah, the, it's the, the fastest of the big clay events. Yeah. yeah, I believe it's because of the altitude or something, which yeah. suits Federer really well. Um, uh, the way the the time that he played Nadal and he won, obviously there is fatigue from the match before then. That match, yes. But yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's still like Federer likes to play in Madrid as well, like in terms of like how yeah. the courts suit him in that regard, but. Yeah, like I wouldn't be surprised if he just tried to try to go tries his luck at, at Rome again. Like maybe he has a, maybe he still has a little bit of a, a hope that he hopes that he can still take the title. Yeah, yeah, um, be- because that is one of the, one of the couple that he hasn't gotten. Although I don't think he's won Monte Carlo either. But yeah, Rome no, he is hasn't. Rome is generally the best measuring stick for how players are playing on clay before the French Open. So I, I could see mm-hmm. him trying to play Madrid and Rome again, particularly if he loses early in Madrid. If he has a deep run there, I think he might pull out of Rome and just rest before Roland Garros. Yeah, I've I if I were him, I think I would probably just skip Roland Garros altogether. I'm not sure really? if he's gonna do it at all. Do well at all. I mean, his chances are very near to zero. Like especially now that well, we have, I, I agree. Uh, yeah, like you have Nadal, who he has never beaten in Roland Garros. Even in his prime, he wasn't capable of doing it. Yeah. Um, um. Then we have obviously Djokovic, who's going to completely focus on on winning. Grand Slams from now on. Yeah. Um, and then now we have Dominic Team. And Fiti Boss would be very tough for him as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like the it's not getting any easier. He could risk of uh could risk um, like harming his chances at Wimbledon if he does does something and does something goes wrong for him. Obviously he's probably very he's gonna know in his body that he if he's if he's too fragile to play in Rolling Arrows before mm-hmm. Wimbledon or not, but I don't know. I think if I were him, I would just probably keep it to myself and try to get to 21 and, and Wimbledon. Hmm. And the, yeah, that's interesting. Know. I think by that logic, though, I might only play Roland Garros because more points are at stake. So he'd get more from like a run to the fourth round there than he would at Madrid. Mm. Um, but that's true. I, yeah, I, I do think he definitely doesn't want to hurt his chances at Wimbledon by playing too much on the play. And I agree with you that his chances to win the French again are basically zero. Like, I think so many things would have to go right. It's just not going to happen. But I do think playing it could help him get in form. He made the semis in 2019. And I think that 
sort of helps him get ready for Wimbledon. Although he lost a couple early sets in that tournament. So it, it took some time for it to pay off, I guess. But I, I feel like as long as he he doesn't totally wear himself out, uh, he has more to gain at the French than he has to lose, because his expectations will be at the floor. So, And I think, um, as well, we can talk a little bit about the ATP tournament that just finished in Marseille, which uh, Medvedev won. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I caught the very end of the finals between him and uh, Pierre Ugeber, and I think and it was a tight match. Uh, six four in the third, and I remember Herbert was hitting some fantastic volleys. I remember being disappointed in the last game because he netted a couple, and the pressure clearly got to him. He had been holding serve pretty easily. Yeah, uh, I I was surprised as well with uh, Pierre Gibert as well. I didn't watch much of the the tournament to be honest. Yeah, I, I could. But um, yeah, but he he was incredibly solid. Like I feel like he's he's a very dangerous player when. Uh, when you're playing particularly not a, not at your best, and he can really yeah. take advantage of that. I think he beat Tsitsipas, right? Uh, yeah, Tsitsipas yeah. only had two break points the entire match. Yeah, so yeah, he's he's a very solid uh, doubles player, so that definitely gives him some boost of confidence in a couple areas of his game, like um, yeah. volleying and, and serving, spot serving especially, mm-hmm. um, because you probably don't ace all that much on... on on, in doubles, and that's probably not the goal when you're serving. You're serving to yeah, try to and get an easy up shot player from, at the net. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so they, that definitely helps him out a lot. Absolutely. In that, in that regard. Yeah, and um, and I think it must be said that the TC Plus return on faster courts leaves a yeah. lot to be desired. So, for sure. Yeah, he he keeps trying the the block serve, especially off of the backhand, mm-hmm. and it just reminds you of a Federer back in 2006 and seven, which was enough for for right. the generation. But right now. It's, you can't get away with that type of shot anymore. So, um, yeah, and and I, and I do like, think yeah. Federer was also better at it. Um, he he yeah. could chip returns as well, and Tsitsipas needs to get better at that. So, yeah, but yeah. One thing that I thought I was encouraging is that I think he's hitting his slices, his backhand slices, much better. He improved a lot on his technique. Still a little floaty, but at mm-hmm. least deeper in the court, not just like sitting out there in the at the tee and just hoping waiting to, to be crushed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, just. We'll see from more from TC Paz. As I said, like in the beginning, he uh, seemed to be having a little bit of a letdown since the Australian Open. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Maybe he'll pick it up and try to win his first Masters 1000. And another thing that's probably just a note, maybe just to end the episode. Sure. Isn't it funny that so many players have been able to win t- tournaments like the US Open or the World Tour Finals? But they have done so before they they won their first Masters one thousand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's wild. Like, um, yeah. I think yeah, it's it's definitely interesting, and I think a lot of the time we underestimate how strong the Masters one thousands field are, uh, hmm. Masters one thousand fields are, because a lot of the time they're incomparable strength to the fields at the majors. But all, all the same, it is strange because Tsitsipas at the World Tour Finals uh, beat Federer. He beat um. Trying to remember who he beat. He beat Team in the final, I think. And yeah. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And usually beating Federer and Team should be enough to get you a Masters one thousand. But that's mm. not always the way it lines up. Yeah. And I don't know what's happened. Maybe it's probably the placement in the calendar. In a sense, we always complain about this, but yeah, <laughs> it may not even be the case at all. But um, I guess like maybe there's the fatigue and also trying to not be too fatigued for tournaments like Grand Slams. That may have some players like play not incredibly well mm-hmm. um, at those tournaments, or just not necessarily um, 
give their hundred percent or it's kind of like pick and choose like their their battles if they're you know feeling like they they're gonna get too tired for no reason or something like that but maybe i'm just totally wrong and that's just out of luck that they yeah. they haven't been able to win those titles yet. No, I mean, I, I think you do have a point. Like, Indian Wells, for example, is going to have, for the most part, a more well-rested field than the U.S. Mm-hmm. Open or the World Tour Finals. So so, so I think in some cases, that's that's definitely possible. Um, and on clay, uh, you got to deal with Rafa and Djokovic. Um, <laughs> I, I think Tsitsipas made the final in Madrid in 2019, and Djokovic crushed him. I'm not sure yeah. if he had a break point the entire match. And that was mm-hmm. after... It was after he beat Rafa, I think. So, r- really, really difficult fields. Um, and also, um, uh, often more well-rested as well. So, yeah. Yeah. It's tough because Clay is such a... You have such a tight window to try and win a, a big tournament. Oh, y- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because... It, the field it, is just, yeah. Yeah, because if Nadal doesn't win everything, it's like that's an opportunity. But then Djokovic is there and team is there. And you might yeah. get upset because you're not Nadal, so... <laughs> It's it's so so difficult. Like um, and we saw with Schwartzman, he he beat Nadal in Rome last year, and then of course Djokovic was in the final because you can't have anything easily in this era. And uh, yeah. and straight sets, he was up two breaks in the first set, and then won, and five games for the rest of the match when Djokovic got going. It's just so so difficult, even at the Masters one thousand level. Yeah. So yeah, I guess this is we'll have to see. I'm excited for for having a fuller calendar this year. Oh, me too. Because, I I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. It definitely feels like we we missed all of those tournaments that we we're missing. Especially, I would say especially Wimbledon. I can't wait. Yes, to have Wimbledon I, back. I, I was going to say Wimbledon. Like it has been yeah. two years since any of these guys played on grass. Like, and and there were circumstances about like when a bunch of them lost early at Wimbledon in twenty in twenty nineteen. So this year's tournament is will be so revealing, and I re- I'm really mm-hmm. excited for it. Yeah, it's actually probably the first time ever that there was no no grass tournaments at all in the, on tour. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine. Um, so. I, I'm not sure if you read uh, Judson Wall's article on all the tournaments in uh, 2020 no. and how the pandemic impacted the calendar. Yeah, but I think in the entire world, there were like a couple grass tournaments. They were in Australia and they totaled like 20 or 40 ATP points or something, like without Wimbledon and Queens and um, Stuttgart. The the grass season just doesn't exist. And so it's going to be yeah. really nice to have it back. Yeah, for sure. Like, a, it's a piece of traditional, I guess. Like, it's always good to have. Um, don't want it to die out. Like, I, I really like Wimbledon. Exactly, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, when Wimbledon doesn't happen, you really realize how small a piece of the year the grass season is. We still need a Masters 1000 on grass. Hopefully that'll come yeah, eventually. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah. Yeah. And I guess we probably can leave, just leave that to another... Um, podcast friend yes yes we, that, that could be an one. episode all by itself <laughs> yeah like rearranging the calendar yeah <laughs> as spirit what the fans want yeah <laughs> so yeah so yeah i guess that covers it all um obviously this episode wasn't as full of stats and deep in analysis or anything it's just some good tense talk and um hope to talk to you guys a little bit more on twitter or whatever else you want to you want to find us we are on instagram as well and on facebook and God knows I'm trying to uh, develop a strategy to be more active on those. But um, yeah, uh, wish us luck. But we are always going to be very active on Twitter. Uh, so you can reach us out there. I am at Rollenberg Andre. Owen is at um, Tennis Nation. Yep. And we are at Tennis and Bagels. 
and Vansh, who's not here today, shout out to Vansh, yep. is uh, at Vansh V2K. We're always going to be trying to answer you as soon as possible because we're pretty much the entire day on Twitter. Yeah, and, so, and, and Vansh will supply uh, amazing stats that you don't know or that you never thought of. So uh, d- definitely keep an eye on his account and he'll be back soon. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we keep like drawing some stats from that he posts on uh, posts on Twitter all the time. Like I kind of get informed about some of the stuff like from from him as well because absolutely. Well, yeah. So yeah, thanks, Vansh. Uh We'll see you ne- next week, and we'll see. You, well, we'll be with y'all, the listeners, next week as well. So yeah, have a good one. See ya. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.